0: welcome to Checked Out. We're broadcasting from Euclid Public Library in beautiful Euclid, Ohio. I'm Casey Armstrong, Director of the Library.
1: And I'm Mike Stein, Assistant Manager of Adult Services. We talk about our favorite books, movies, services, and events with our favorite people and our favorite community. Each podcast will feature a theme. Today we're talking about the Oscars. Our special guest is Dr. Frederick W. Gooding, Jr., author of the book, Black Oscars from Miami to many, what the Academy Awards tell us about African-Americans. Featured in national publications such as New York Times and USA Today, Dr. Gooding critically analyzes race in mainstream media and engages audiences on patterns hidden in plain sight. As the Dr. Ronald E. Moore Endowed Professor of the Humanities within the John V. Roach Honors College at Texas Christian University, Dr. Gooding has provided social commentary on CBS, NBC, and Fox News networks. Dr. Gooding most recently served as the Leonard A. Lauder Visiting Senior Fellow for the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. for summer of 2021 to work on his next book on Black statues, a work that aims to contribute to national conversations about public memory, urban art, and sociopolitical history, and not to mention the value and visibility of Black imagery. Dr. Gooding, welcome to Checked Out.
2: Thank you for checking in with me here at Checked Out.
1: Very glad to have you. So we just wanted to Kind of start with kind of a general question. Uh, You mentioned your book, Black Oscars, and just wanted to get from you what the inspiration behind the book and why you decided to write the book.
2: Well, I I guess I could say my family. And the reason why is because in sitting home and watching the movies, because I just want to be very clear, I love movies. This work is not a product of some animosity or X I have to grind with Hollywood. No, I actually love the movies. And so I love movies. I watch them all the time, my family. But I am a keen observer, I would like to think. I'm into the movies. And so these patterns were just jumping out to me. So I naturally was just ask my family members, oh, did you see that? Did you see that? And it got to the point where they said, look, you need to write a book and leave us the heck alone. We're just trying to watch a movie, but it's just a movie. And that, if anything, fueled me all the more so because I came to the conclusion after doing all this research that it's more than just a movie.
1: Yeah, I think I was able to feel some of what you're saying. I didn't get to read all of the book. I read some of it, but I mean, it's very thorough, very well researched. And Your love of the movies does come through in the book, I think. So I think that's definitely part
0: of it. So as a professor of African-American studies with an honors college of Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, Texas, what types of challenges are you facing today with teaching the truth about um, our history in your classroom?
2: Well, I'm so very glad you said our history because... African-American history is indeed American history. I I find it very difficult to tell the American story truthfully without invoking African-American history. So it is our history and it behooves us all to share in this. So along those lines, I mean, two chief challenges come to mind. One is that I'm teaching African-American history to hardly any African-Americans. Right. I mean, I, A, I just work at a predominantly white institution. And as being in an honors college, we were just struggling with respect to student representation. There's a number of reasons for that structurally, but we need to look at those reasons. Right. You know, and, and that's just TCU. I'm sure other schools as well have similar issues in terms of, you know, making sure that everyone has access and opportunity to a this great education. But secondly, uh, I live in a state whereby we're still wringing our hands and clutching our pearls over how do we tell the truth? Uh, right now, the conversation is called critical race theory. And, um, you know, this ongoing conversation throughout the nation. And while it's not necessarily affecting us at the university level, it's still an element of concern because my whole thing is, but if it's true, why shouldn't we talk about it? You know, So again, if, uh, George Washington didn't own any enslaved individuals. There's nothing to talk about. I mean, it, there's nothing for us to be concerned about. But if he did at Mount Vernon, in fact, operate a plantation, then why shouldn't we talk about that in addition to all his other accomplishments? So what I'm suggesting is that we need to understand the full picture and the full picture can be quite complicated. And so the fact that we know he is an actual slave owner, well, if that complicates your view of him being this uh, bastion of civil rights and, and, and liberty, then yes, that's exactly what it should do. Because if it's true, he owned other people, we have to reconcile with that because I personally am not into the enslavement thing.
1: Yeah, we put up a critical race theory display last summer and put a picture on social media and I got some little bit of pushback on there. Not a whole lot, but uh, one of our most responded to pictures, I think. So even at our place, people get a little offended by it. Um, But in the bibliography of your book, you mentioned the Hattie and Sam McDaniel papers at the Margaret Herrick Library, Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Science and the Elizabeth Hush collection on sex discrimination against women at the Margaret Herrick Library. Tell us about your research and how libraries played a role in helping you craft your book.
2: Absolutely. Libraries are magical places. And I really, for all the listeners listening, want people to to understand that virtually any question, the pathway to finding that question can take place in a library setting. And so uh, you have to go to specific libraries oftentimes, and oftentimes you have to find the right librarian. But if you do, it can be a magical experience and that's nothing short of the experience that I had. And so again, I had some very welcoming librarians who did take me in and were able to make suggestions because again, I'm outside looking in, they're they're familiar. And so I honestly think that in addition to the study guides, just having pleasant conversation with, uh, you know, well-meaning librarians, that can often be the key to make or break a research project, right? And so I was so very grateful um, that I was able to uh, uh, just Share what I was researching because at first I felt a little uh, squeamish about oh you know uh, I might be uh, critical of the academy they may not want to give me the information you know that sort of deal you know, I was a little skittish but when I started talking and again and it, 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 whatever whether whatever it counts for points or not it just so happened the librarian I'm thinking of was a woman of color she was Latinx right so you know whether it counts for something or not I don't know but the fact of the matter is is that we got to talk in we got to talk in we got to talk in and then and I got a actual Academy Award Oscar in my hand, you know what I'm saying? And so um, that was a treat. And, but not only that, but I tell you this because when I actually held it in my hand, I was actually able to look down and see that there were circles at the bottom of the actual Academy Award. And I asked, what was that for? And she explained that it stood for the five different branches that they wanted to recognize at the beginning. That actually served as the rubric, the inspiration for the five different um, you know categories that I actually came up with uh, in, in the book, right? So, so, so these little things mean a lot, in other words. And And in the um, actual archives that you had mentioned, particularly I'll talk about the the Hattie McDaniel uh, uh, papers, uh, I was able to glean the nuance. And so what was fascinating for me, especially with the Hattie McDaniel papers, was that um, I was able to understand the theory of relativity. We look back now with the benefit of uh, hindsight, right? 2020 vision in 2022. And we say, oh my goodness, uh, they're celebrating uh, the first non-white individual to win an Oscar, but it's for a maid. Tisk tisk, shame, shame. You know, can't we think bigger than that? And, and I think all those critiques are, are, are I think are valid, right? Because I'm critical as well. But at that point in time, what if I told you, and this is only, I think, you know, through the, the actual nuances of the archives, I was able to glean, Mike, that um, she received a standing ovation at that time. So at that time for those people who were present, they thought this was a magical breakthrough. This is the first, Oh my goodness, we're getting it together. Um, not only was she in the movie, but she's actually in our presence, even though she was in the back with the male escort by the kitchen, right? She couldn't sit at the table with Rhett Butler and Vivian Lay. Right. But this idea that I was I was just able to appreciate this nuance of relativity. And so that's why I wanted to be as consistent with the analysis, because even though I do come off critical at times, I think what I wanted to do was provide a tool so that years from now, when we look at the year 2022, are we going to say, oh, you know what? Uh, Black Panther could have gone a little further. Right. Just like when we look at Hattie McDaniel in 1939 and say, "Mm, you know, on on one level, in theory, it was it was a breakthrough. But at the same time, what does she win it for? So all I want to do is be consistent with the analysis so that we can be consistent in analyzing the relative value of our, quote unquote, breakthroughs.
0: It's really, it really is a fascinating um, book. I you never think about, you know, the creative ways that we can teach about this history and like teaching the movies, talking about the movies is such a universal topic for so many of us. But in the book, you discuss the Hayes Code and how this was used kind of as a protection for white actors, but there had never really been any protections in place for African American actors. You specifically say, and I quote there never has been a consistent metric to rate or judge the harmful effects of repeated exposure to disparaging racial stereotypes about African-Americans. Can you please talk more about that? And has there been any change currently? Um, And is this something that African-American actors now can go back to and say, hey, if we instituted the Hayes Code then, can we get a code now?
2: Fascinating question. And so I'm so very thankful because you know, intricate, careful questions like this really show interest, Right. You know, from the person asking the question. So, you know, uh, I'm really appreciative of this question. And so in answering it, uh, I would just like to just simply state for those listening that the Hays Code was, say, mid thirties to about uh, late sixties, um, this uh, self-imposed uh, by, by by the Motion Picture Association, because and that was one of the reasons why the Academy Awards actually sprouted up in the first place. It was a self-imposed way of protecting itself against criticism that, hey, film might be a bad thing. I mean, you, you know, just remember at that time just pointing a gun at the screen was considered violent right you know uh just like maybe three-dimensional uh, graphics uh might might be kind of wary for us especially if someone were to make a game about like a horror ha- haunted house you know there might be concerned about oh uh even though it's fake if you know you put this one and kid really feels that they're being scared that might affect them well people had that same perspective against movies back then like um, and so the Hayes Code was a self-imposed way where the, the industry said, "Oh, okay, okay." Before the people protest and, and with their pitchforks and, and shut down our movie theaters, we'll, we'll we'll take care of it. We'll make sure that w- what we uh, provide and in, in, as a product is going to be clean. It's going to be good, right? So no profanity or suggestive nudity or anything of nature. It's going to be it's going to be a good product, right? In fact, we want you and your whole family. That's more sales for us. We want you know everybody to come into the theater, right? Okay. And so that was the precursor for the rating system. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, the, the famous joke, uh, you know, uh, Will Smith told, you know, uh, oh, you know, you're so dumb, you know, you went back to go get 17 of your friends, you know, the, you know, to, to get into the theater. So in other words, R meant R17 meant that it was restricted to those individuals who are older than a certain age, because the thinking was and again, the thinking is that if someone under the age of 17 is exposed, to graphic uh, violence or profanity, they might be influenced by these images over time. That's one of the reasons why many of us would lose our jobs if we were to show the movie Pulp Fiction to a group of kindergartners, right? It's just quote, quote unquote, not appropriate. The, the, the thinking is if exposed over time, there will be undue influence. And we don't want kids you know, in, this, in, the, in the first grade dropping F-bombs. There'll be plenty of time for that later in life, right? Uh, hopefully at appropriate times, not at church, right? Okay, so the idea is this. I agree with you and, and, and was implicit in your question. So you're saying, okay, well, they, they had this code and now we actually have the, the rating system. It's still in effect. I mean, whether people observe it or not, you know, and it was streaming and all that, you know, that's another question, but it's still an effect. Movies that come out are still being rated. People are still looking for these clues and at least providing this opportunity for the consumer to decide. So if along those lines, if we're suggesting that Uh, strong images of violence and and language and even drug paraphernalia are are issues of concern that might affect this or unduly influences. My only question after looking at the pattern of these images is, is it not possible that disparaging racial images also have the ability to influence this as well? That, that's just my question. And, and so what I've discovered in analyzing the whole of the Academy Award nominations, again, not the actors individually, but the actual character roles themselves and analyzing which roles were nominated and, and the quality of those roles, we have a pattern. And a pattern is that most times and not when you see African-Americans on screen, there's usually a problem. It's usually a problem, right? And so, and and the question is, if you're exposed to this idea over time, well, my question is, well, how how is that going to influence us in society? I mean, and this is what I'm fascinated to measure. So in answer to to your question, and thank you for your patience, is yes, Hollywood is very much well aware. Hollywood's been studying this issue since the 40s. So, So, I mean, hashtag so white wasn't a surprise or revelation. I mean, you know... And to uh, the, the, the Academy's credit, they are instituting uh, measures. Uh, you know, there, there's new criteria now. You have to have three, one of three categories, A, B, and C, in order to, to, to try to, I guess, rig it so that more diversity can be considered. Although technically it's possible for a white female to, to, to win and you can check on the boxes, right? Um, you know, the way they designed it. But at least there's this effort and recognition. So that's the, the, the recognition is not the issue. We, we've known about this for some time. The question is, has Hollywood, has there been created a financial incentive for Hollywood to change its ways? Because honestly, um, it's been working for so long and we still participate in it for so long that until Hollywood, I think, has a financial disincentive to change, um, we're going to see the same thing but different.
1: Well, don't worry about your answer being too long and us running out of patience. I'm enjoying listening to you and hearing the passion (laughs) for the movies you have. So, uh, but let's talk about the list of all Black Oscar acting nominees and wins. We just mentioned Hattie McDaniel was the first African-American actress to be nominated and win an Oscar. Hopefully you got the numbers right. But African-Americans have been nominated a total of 77 times and have only won 19. Uh, What are the other options for African-American actors? Intending to start their own awards, such as NAACP awards, protests such as Oscars So White, or starting their own studios such as Tyler Perry and recognizing African American talent, any
2: of those things? Real options of the Oscars? Sure, sure. Okay, so uh, a couple of parts we'll we'll break down here. So let's, let's look at the numbers first. Unfortunately, the numbers are paltry and abysmal. I think many people know this in the back of their head, but I think when you you know, look at it and flip to the back the index, it's like really 0.2%, like really, it's been that sw- over the course of time, yes, it has been that abysmal. Um, after all, I mean, there are many years, it wasn't just uh, most recently hash- hashtag Oscars white, but there were many years, in fact, there was a decade where uh, there weren't any uh, black nominations at all, right? Um, and so maybe in recent times we've shown more attention to it, but I mean, even last year, I mean, think about it. Yeah, not nominated, one nomination total. Right. You know, and then that, that's life going back to normal. I mean, no, no protest. So the, the, the question is um, in addition to the quantity, I'm also suggesting that we look at the quality of the roles because uh when I wrote the book, uh, it was only up to the 92nd. And so we're up to the 94th now. So that number has technically changed. We're up to 20 Ameri- uh, African-American world winners. But the question is, what's the quality of the role? One of the patterns that I've, uh, I'm not going to obviously reveal everything, but but one of the patterns I've identified is this idea that so many of our nominations are restricted actually to this category of what I have called, um, uh, you know, of, of the gravity of reality. So, uh, Many of my white brothers and sisters are liberated by what I call the freedom of fantasy. What do I mean? Well, in Jurassic World, uh, dinosaurs aren't real. But at least for these two hours, I'm I'm watching these young white teenagers in this rotating gyrosphere, you know, battling, you know, dinosaurs. And I'm into it like, oh, my goodness. No, uh, no, dinosaurs are not. If I walk outside today. I mean, I understand they existed, but come on, y'all don't play with me. If I walk outside today, no, no trying to source, you know what I'm saying? But in the, in the movie space, you know, whether it be star Wars or Lord of the Rings or, you know, it's constant where I will see my white brothers and sisters flying in the air and doing all types of things. It's awesome. But when it comes to us, gravity of reality. So for example, let's look at the 20th Oscar win. It was for what Judas and the black Messiah uh, based upon the real life story of Fred Hampton. And it's a sad story brother man getting murdered because all he wanted was equal justice? Oh, actually, that kind of sounds like the uh, plot of a uh, Killmonger in uh, Black Panther. Hello, uh, subject for another topic, another time. Sorry about that. I'm not trying to confuse. But the point is that um, so even though we're talking about only 20 wins total, right, over a 94-year period, I'm also interested, in that they ate us a paltry number, but I also want us to add to this conversation of, but what about the quality of these roles? Are we still saying that Hollywood, an area arguably where you are not limited by imagination. We, we still can only think of African-Americans in, in this solitary context. Like the only time you're gonna see me starring in a movie is when it's based upon a true to life story. Dream girls, Ray, right? Yeah, but you get Ali. These are the only times in which you can see me in a movie. And so even though it's good that they're making these movies, it's good we're highlighting these extraordinary people. What I'm saying is that it's also interesting how it's limiting us. The only time, so it's like this, but think about what it does for uh, us, you know, ordinary everyday black people. Like, oh, I have to either be like a super human individual like Harry Tubman in order to, you know, be on screen. And then even when you put Harry Tubman on screen, you can't find a, African american sister to to be cast in the role I mean again and, and God bless Cynthia Ario. uh I love her uh she's uh you know quite nice I was just over in Europe you know what I'm saying a couple of weeks ago uh you know props to London and in the, in, the, in, the, in the pound, even though you know brexit I think was a little uh smelled a little racial but uh the fact of the matter is this but you mean to tell me we, I mean I, I mean I, I, in peace to Cynthia Ario has nothing to do with her, but I'm just saying that in terms of Hollywood, you can't find me an African American sister to play the role of Harriet Tubman I mean after all when it was time to do Churchill. They kind of sort of find Gary Oldman. They didn't find a you know right. They, they didn't find a French brother to play Gary uh, to play Winston Churchill. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so okay, so what are the other options? Unfortunately, there aren't that many, right? Because African Americans are uniquely dependent upon Hollywood for their image to be reflected back to them. See now, see. So if I'm Chinese American. You know, I can watch a movie like Kung Fu Panda and be like, oh, this is garbage. You know, look what you did to my national syndrome of the the panda. You know, you made him, you know, fat and overweight and, you know, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're making fun of him. But guess what? I'm not limited to this because I have my own cinema. You know, like China has its own cinema. Mexico has its own cinema. Like many countries have their own cinema that, that many other people come from. But see, I as an African-American, see Dr. W.B. Du Bois talked about this. He talked about the duality, the two-ness. I'm confused. I'm African-American, so where else do I go? Uh, 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 I'm African-American. Am I supposed to go to a uh, Nigerian cinema? Uh, uh, am I supposed to go to Ethiopian cinema? Uh, 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 well, I have over 60 countries to choose from. So, okay, well, let me do American cinema. I'm uniquely dependent upon Hollywood. To reflect my own image back to me. So my image, so my options are very little. And so to your point, Mike, you have the NAACPU image awards. God bless them. But the fact of the matter is, is that we already know it's counterculture from the jump. We already, and so the question is to what degree as I as I as an African-American am included in the mainstream. Right. So I think the image boards uh, should continue. It, and I think it's awesome. It's great. But we just know that the, the very inception and in its existence is to create a space outside of the mainstream because the mainstream is not recognized. And so I, I think when you talk about from the Oscars perspective, the mainstream, the question is, well, what, what's the, 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 the bar in order for me to be even considered to recognize? Oh, well, I either have to be this extraordinary person or I have to be struggling with racism or poverty. That's <laughs> like the only. These are like the only limited contexts in which how many, many people get to know me, because you all know this. These movies are worldwide, so you may not have been the Czech Republic, but but these movies have been there. These movies have been in Vietnam. They've been. I mean, I, I've gone to all these places, and when I go to their theaters, I see more American movies in their theaters than than our than their than local cinema. Right. So the question is. Our images are being distributed worldwide. We know this as a fact, but what are people seeing, right? Especially when it comes to race. Especially if I haven't had the opportunity to visit the United States and have a conversation with Casey and Jean and you know and Mike and, and if I haven't had this opportunity, I'm uniquely dependent, like I like I am, upon Hollywood cinema, cinema to inform and provide me with at least an image as to what's going on. And over time, what I'm suggesting is a cumulative effect over time of this marginalization of the black image of not, you know, living to the end of the movie. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to, it, but it's, it's in the book, an alarming number of Academy African-American Academy Award nominees don't even live to the end of the movie. What does that say? So, so I mean, the cumulative effect over time is that before I even open up my mouth and again, and that's why I gave you the introduction because oftentimes before I even open up my mouth. People already put me in that box. I got people talking to me in the way. Hey, you no no that. Good morning, sir. Hey, you can you grab that bag on, on the plane? I'm the only brother on the plane. Like, who are you talking to? Like, who are you talking to? Oh, you talk to a black man. That. That's who you're talking to, because that's what you see. I mean, you have no idea who I am. You have no idea who I am. Right. But but this is what people see. Right. And so um, God bless Tyler Perry. Um, God bless, uh, you know, uh, you know, many, uh, the African-American artists, uh, Avery Duvernay, DuVernay who are creating spaces and places, but, um, I think it's, uh, going to take more than just these isolated individuals that, that we applaud and laud. I think we're, uh, we have to ask ourselves the tough questions about what type of fundamental systemic change is how we willing to engage. All
1: right, Casey, okay, so sorry, but, uh, I think I'm leaving the library heading down to Texas Christian University and in Dr. Gooding's class, I think I can learn something and be entertained at the same time. I
0: think that if you look up and you see me in Dr. Ooh. Gooding's virtual class, <laughs> Texas is a little too hot for me to actually live in, but I'd be willing to participate in a virtual class. This is really, really fascinating, Dr. Gooding. Um, I just wanna ask, we talked about the, um, the, the actor awards and now, in your book, you have a list of Black non-acting Oscar winners, and there are more of those. And I find it fascinating when I look at the list. How many are re- related to sound or music? Yes. So how does how did the two work? How you know? Do they ever have any interplay? Is it ever any room? For that to be like the back door, of the gateway to get into the Oscar nominations. Like, talk more no, I mean, about I, the non acting Oscar winners.
2: I think what's powerful about your question is that it reminds us that there's still space. There's still so much space. And also, it reminds us that, and, 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 and isn't this fascinating? At every step of the way, despite all the walls that have been put up, despite all the barriers, for some reason, somehow, Black people are still making it happen. So back when you have 100 percent unions, you know, turning their backs somehow like way back, even back, back then in the 60s, something, you, you still have black people getting not, not just in the industry, but getting awards for, you know, oh, this is award winning, highly acclaimed work. So this is fascinating The 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 testament of the spirit that, that African-Americans have to, to be in the mix like this. That's, that's amazing. But, I, I, but in terms of the relationship between um, acting and non-acting, I focus primarily on acting uh, Oscars in the uh, book because that's mostly what we see in terms of image. Right. You know, we remember Lewis Gossett Jr. as that hard nose, you know, drill sergeant in the movie. And we're not so much. uh, Oh, man, the brother who's laying down that sound. (laughs) man, He was gaffling like nobody, you know, like nobody's business. I mean, you know, we're not necessarily having that conversation, even though it could be true. And so we often focus on what we see. Right. We're just having that conversation. So that's why I focused on those uh, as I call those like the glamour. Yeah. And the thing is, with some of these other uh, categories, we're so statistically insignificant where it just didn't make sense to do a chart of how many black directors, uh, you know, have been, have been nominated because uh, it's a very short list. Right. Like very like is not what one, two? Or, OK, but you get the point. So when looking at the non um, acting, I also just wanted to give space and place for uh, brothers and sisters who are still uh, what I call grinding and shining. You know what I'm saying, still grinding and shining, right? And 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 hopefully, um, uh, for for that individual who makes it to dependence, you know, I mean, you're you're bought in. So you know, at that point, you know, that, that hopefully that's the cherry on top in terms of the, the inspiration of, uh, you know, what, no matter what the playing field is, I can always find a space and place for myself as well. See, and that's the power of it. We talked about this earlier. Hollywood is supposed to be this imaginative space, and there is no limit to our imaginations. Our creativity has gotten us over. How do you make a delicacy out of entails from a swine? I mean, I mean, just, I mean, just. How, how, how do you create cornbread off the scraps off a table? How do you survive? send messages of freedom through a quilt. This is amazing. I'm not lazy. The tools are broken, sir, because I'm not working today, right? I'm shuffling because I'm conserving my energy. You got it twisted. I'm creative. I'm, I'm figuring this thing out. I'm surviving. I got air in my lungs. Hello. So what I'm saying is that that list hopefully will be that seed that reminds us that we have space for us so long as we unlock and unzip the powers of our own creativity. This is a creative space. And guess what? We're part of it. We're part of it. We're we're part of it. We're in the mix. We're here. Right. And and, and again, and and that's all I'm saying is that if you love the movies and uh, if you love my black music, then the question is, why don't you love my black body? Why why is there a distinction? Why is there a separation? You you love the sounds coming out of my mouth and my soul. But you don't love the, the body that goes through all that pain and, tri- and tribulation that produces that sound. No So what I'm saying is I, I think we can reconcile. Right. I mean, so what I'm interested in is seeing more of the images that match the complexity that we've clearly demonstrated through our, our, our sound and our ability to be creative. I mean, but we kind of been doing it. It's like we're like the best kept secret, but actually not kind of not sort of. If anybody knows, my white brothers and sisters know about the magic and the beauty and the creativity of our African American brothers and sisters. If anybody, they know. Seriously, talk, talk, talk to one of your white colleagues, seriously. You know, you know, they'll, no, you're right. I mean, you're, I mean no, 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 they will confess. They will confess. And we all know this to be true. And so the question is, does Hollywood get the bigger picture?
1: Well, you're definitely bringing it today. I imagine when you talk about movies, you're like this all the time. I don't think you're just uh, performing.
0: Your family says you got to talk about the movies with somebody else.
1: <laughs> I want to ask for a minute about the upcoming Oscar nominations 2022. I had some of the things that are being uh, projected as Oscar winners. Uh, the Power of the Dog, which I got something to say about that movie. Um, passing is one with Tessa Thompson based on a novel from almost 100 years ago about black people passing as white. And that's one of the featured uh, picks as a possible Oscar winner. I don't know how many of them you've seen or what you know about current uh, upcoming Oscar nominations, but what's your thoughts on what's planned for this year?
2: Well, I mean, just let's just take those three movies that you mentioned. You said The Power of the Dog. Um, you mentioned... Uh, oh my God. Passing. What was that? Passing. Passing and... Was yeah, it? just those two is all. Oh, okay, just those so two. And then I'll mention, say, King Richard, because that received a lot yeah. of Oscar. So what's fascinating about these three is how we're still in 2022 fascinated with this question about race, right? I mean, cause I think power of the dog, um, if, if, if I'm understanding the, uh, cause I haven't seen it yet, if I'm understanding the premise, I think the idea is that it's going to be powerful acting, um, you know, from, uh, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch, but the idea is that, but he's like a bit of like a bigot, right? You know, yeah, he is a bit of a problem. So again, we're fascinated by race, you know, just like uh, the, the, the the what was it, the billing, uh, the, the billboards, you know, we still, we're talking about powerful performances that are still connected to this concept of race. And even when you look at King Richard and passing, that goes with that that pattern I was talking about earlier. This idea of how uh, movies, when they feature or star African-Americans, magically, for some reason, touch upon this gravity of reality. So passing is, is a true concept in terms of if an individual is of a certain complexion that's light enough, do they try to go with the social advantages of being considered white or closer to white, as opposed to, you know, the paying the black tax as far as the extra additional friction in society. So even just the title of the movie is reckoning with this larger concept of, you know, reality of race. And I find that fascinating. And even with uh, King Richard, while it's not directly on the head, dealing with race, it actually is dealing with race. <laughs> the premise is a black father who has brought up not just two young women, which is arguably difficult to do uh, just in general, but he brings up two tennis players, which is difficult to do as an African-American male due to the intersections of class and race, but he brings up two world championship level tennis players and all the flack that goes with that and all the stressors that go with that so race is a factor in this story it's, it's based upon a true story once again so again without even having seen all the films it's fascinating how we are still adhering to some of these patterns and, and it's not to disparage or 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 we talk about you know uh the people and behind the production and why not We we, we need additional images to complicate our our narratives on screen, but already, you know, uh, I I think uh, if if we're acknowledging that we're still fascinated by this topic, then I I just don't see why we don't lean into it. You know, I I don't understand why it's still so awkward. You know, to you know, uh, no, let's keep the topics on uh, on on the weather. Uh, You know, no, I mean, clearly, and you all can attest that at the library, many books in the library deal with the concept of race in some way, shape or form. I mean, look how many books I've written about the Civil War still, right? We're still trying to figure out how to frame it, you know? And and so I think that these movies show us that it's not going away anytime soon. Um, You know, we as humans are still trying to understand it because honestly, for me, racism doesn't make any sense. It's illogical and irrational, but the effects of it are real. And so, you know, how do we deal with it, right? And oftentimes, uh, culture, uh, and, and bonding, uh, through the power of, uh, of art, you know? And so whether it be a book, you know, understanding a book and somebody else's perspective, you know, in terms of, you know, you play that movie in your mind or I had actually seeing the movie. So seeing King Richard may not um, be so educational for me, but it may expose a large section of our audience to the idea of Actually, there's a lot more to this than what I thought. I, I just saw Venus and the babe raising the hair and I thought there, but you know, and actually I'm, I'm starting to see a behind the window now. Now, again, I don't think it's Hollywood's job to play documentarian, right? You know, they, they make movies to make profit. So, um, you know, so again, but that being said, if we're making these movies, that's great. And why not? Let's open the door even wider so that uh, in addition to Black Panther, we might actually have, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, a, a superhero sister up in space doing God knows what. Because at least for uh, my, my, my grandmother and my mother, they're, they're superheroes in my book. Right.
1: Uh, ben, have any of you seen the movie The Harder They Fall? The all black Western cast, which so I'm comparing that to The Power of the Dog, which is getting all these award nominations and. Probably the front runner for Oscar, Jane Campion is a noted director for many movies. Uh, but sorry, Benedict Cumberbatch and just Blemins, boring. Um, I kept wanting to look for my phone throughout the whole movie. But the harder they fall with Pedro Selba, Jonathan Majors, Keith Stanfield. Just a fun movie. I, you know, it's violent. It's a Western where everybody gets shot up. And but they, you know, it's kind of a fantastic violence where you get shot and you go flying off in 20 feet and things like that. So I don't think that's gonna get any. Oscar nomination, maybe for costumes or or wow. something like that. But I compare those two movies, like you've been saying, you got The Power of the Dog, which I and a buddy at work that we talk about movies he thought was boring too. You got that one's getting all these accolades and the Heart of Lake Ball is getting a lot of good reviews, but it's kind of forgotten. Nobody's really talking about it. I don't hear it as Oscar bait. So I don't know if you've seen that one I have anything to say about that, but I see those two as uh, you know, still falling under the Oscars are
2: or well, not so I mean- like- well, and, and I know uh, Casey had a question real quick, but I think this goes to your, your point about, um, well, the large point we've been developing about is the black image still taken seriously, right? So, um, uh, again, I mean, the, this idea of fantastic violence hasn't stopped Quentin Tarantino from getting critical acclaim, and he's had some ridiculous, you know, fantastic, go to your term, fantastic violence. It's just like over the top ridiculous, but it's to make a point, and therefore it's artistic and is critically acclaimed. And so for some reason you're right this this black western is not quite for even just the term black western right you know mm-hmm. it's still being put in that category whereas power of the dog is just oh it's just this gripping drama it's not it's not framed as a white movie it's just a movie it's just a drama right whereas you know I, i've seen that term black western being used so many times with the hardy Day fall you know so already that subtlety in terms of how we put uh, you know mentally you know um, people in boxes that, that's part of the challenge that we want to eradicate where hopefully 20 years from now, did you see that Western, the harder Day fall, right? That would be, I think the ultimate and then for it to be considered serious, you know, along with anything else as opposed to black Western.
0: I was just thinking today is the American Library Association's Youth Media Awards announcements where they announced the big award winners for Prada King and the Prince Awards, all these uh, awards, for books. And I am just so happy to see more African American writers being recognized um, for books that are like fantasy and right. sci fi that have nothing to do with um, right. slavery and all these topics. Right. Just Black kids growing right. up and imagining right. being the superhero, being the, the nerdy character. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and I'm hoping that more of the books are picked up and turned into movies.
2: Yeah, and I'll, I'll just say this in closing real quick that, um, you know, uh, obviously as a historian, of course we need the stories about the trial and tribulation. I mean, we need to understand that and, and know from where you came. I mean, again, yeah, this goes for everybody, not just Black people. Because uh, yeah, once you know it, then you're connected to it. Once you know it, you talk different. You walk different. you may not say what you're saying right now on, on AM talk radio if you actually knew what you were connected to. But that being said, I agree with you. In addition to the, tri- the trial, you know, and tribulation, we should also remember that we are people of triumph and veneration. We have thoughts, ideas, feelings, and aspirations, also, and, and fantasies. And why not play? Because, like you said, for the longest time, Octavia Butler—that was it. Coming up, that was the only sister thinking outside the box. That was it. Octavia Butler was it. So, in addition, you know, we. There's, and that's what I'm saying. There's no, there's no boundaries in space. So why, why are we bounded here on planet Earth? Why? Why? Why do all black people? It's either I, I got to have a microphone in my hand. It's either all hip hop or all basketball. I mean, okay, and no, no, we're multidimensional. We're complicated, right? And so my whole thing is, in terms of Hollywood, I have had no problem watching artistic brilliance, whether it comes in the form of Martin Scorsese, um, or, or you know, or uh, Spike Lee. I don't care, as long as it's good. I'm interested. So what I'm saying is. I think this is an opportunity for many of my brothers and sisters, including my white brothers and sisters, to be truly, truly open. If you're all about the best art, then you're actually shortchanging yourself. If you're only saying, no, only 98% of our directors shall be white and let's keep it that way. No, you want to include more perspectives because now you've actually increased the opportunity for more high quality art when you actually have more people, more perspective, more competition, I mean, I, I, I think we all stand to benefit as opposed to just simply limiting and saying that we can only watch movies from one point of view. I mean, honestly, I mean, and so I think, you know, that's my argument that we all stand to benefit if we stand to open our aperture.
0: Can we talk a little bit about Sidney Portier, who unfortunately we just lost? Uh, I believe he had six or seven nominations um, and I believe three wins total. So correct my numbers if I'm wrong. But talk about Sidney Portier and his overall influence on the Oscars and African-American acting in general.
2: Absolutely. And so I used to make a poor joke about how God help us all if Sidney Poitier, Denzel Washington, and Morgan Freeman all got into a car accident, right? Just in terms of that would be more than half of all African American nominations just off the the face of the earth. And so uh, we did indeed lose a very significant individual who played an interesting role. And so what was that role? Very briefly, I'll break it down. In many ways, he Broke new ground, but in actuality, relatively speaking, the quality of many of these roles still fit within these larger problematic narratives. So, for example, you take his role of being nominated, uh, you know, loses in a field. I mean, if he won, loses in a field. So on one level, this is absolutely great. We mark it down in history as he wins this Oscar for best, uh, you know, uh, I believe his best supporting actor, and and and, and this, this is great. This is a breakthrough. Um, but at the same time, when we look at the quality of that role, notice how in *Lilies of the Field*. Did you all see the movie *Lilies of Field*? So in *Lilies of the Field*. One. So, Mike, my, my, who, who who is he interacting with? What, what was the primary group of people he
1: was? Uh, no, I, saw, I I haven't seen that. one. Oh, I did watch. Oh, okay. I did watch oh. Guess who's coming to dinner after he? Oh, okay. I, party, I can so. speak on
2: that just for for half a second. So, um, the uh, the premise was that he was this wayward journeyman who uh, ended up stopping at a rural like like location that was run by nuns, and then he ends up helping them. It was kind of like Sister Act to before Sister Act, and they end up singing and bonding together through religion. So let's just break this down really quickly. Um, notice there are what? Nuns. So as in none, ain't, ain't nobody getting none. As in there's no, there's no sexual tension, there's no action, nothing happening, safe. Right. So on one level, it's cool that he's in this movie and he's interacting and he's like uh, obstinate. You know, he's, uh, you know, taking charge, uh, you know, he's drawing initiative. But at the same time, he's isolated. He, I believe, is the only African-American we see in the whole entire movie. <laughs> uh, you know, that's kind of hard for me to do, go through a whole day without seeing any other African-Americans. And then um, the idea is that he's with nuns and it's through what religion? How different no, no, and again, I'm not disparaging. And again, for anybody, this party of fans listening, again, God bless and thank you know, give thanks for, the, for his, his, his memory. But all I'm asking though is how different is the dynamic of Sydney Poitier singing with these nuns than Uncle Remus singing with the chillens, right? As far as a black male just singing and we all happy in the name of religion and God bless, right? No, I, well, I, what do I have to sing about when an officer of the law can have his knee on my neck, not for six minutes and 46, not for seven minutes and four, but for eight minutes and 46. What, 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 what do I have to say about? zippity oh my, oh my, what? What a wonderful day, what? So all I'm saying is um, it's complicated. That, 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 that's where I'm at with the whole Sydney party thing. It's complicated. Yes, he's winning Oscars and nominations, but it's four roles that are still safe, right? Guess who's coming to dinner? I mean, you know, as you, as you mentioned, really it was about the white people. It's really about Spencer Tracy. He was dominating the whole movie. It was all about his reasoning and everybody appealing to him, you know, and please and listen. And everyone's making arguments to him at his crib. Excuse me, home, his domicile, his place of residence. Right. And ideas that, you know, sitting parties yelling at his dad, you know, you, you know, you know, I mean, black on black, you know, the, no male, male. I mean, you know, if you think about a lot of the images and even like the, you know, the the, the, the maid to help, you know, she's she's all anti. You know, meanwhile, Catherine Hepburn, you know, she's liberal, she gets it. And, you know, Spencer Tracy, oh, you know, I'll think about it. Oh, we're so happy at the end of the movie. Really? And notice the intimacy, like, kind of, sort of, it looked like a kiss. And in the rearview mirror, the text cab driver, that was it. Um, meanwhile, um, and I'm not trying to be funny or delicate, but uh, we know that um, when it comes to intimacy, it's a one way street. Right. You know, when black males still uh, being intimate with uh, white actresses on uh, you know mainstream movies is, is rare to see. Uh, meanwhile, um, we've seen the opposite uh, in terms of people being intimate with, um, you know, uh, white men being intimate with women of color. Uh, Oscar winner Halle Berry famously won for Monsters Ball. I would know if I would call that intimate. Right. But uh, but you get the point in terms of how it could be one way street. And in fact, to that point about how black female sexuality is often taken for granted. The very following year, there's this tradition with the Oscar land where the best actress will present the best actor award the following year. So Halle Berry was presenting the best actor award and uh, Adrian Brody won it for the piano. You know what he did? Anyone see it? He's going you know, announce his name. He jubilantly climbs up the stairs and he takes her in his arms and bends her over and kisses her Fred Astaire style no seriously you can look it up on the lips only issue only detail uh you know this is before hashtag me too I mean I I don't think he asked her I I don't know if he whispered it's okay if I kiss you when he's coming upstairs I couldn't read his lips I don't know if he got permission but I do know her husband at the time Eric Benet was in the front audience right watching it so again you go from screen image you know, black female sexuality, right? And then the blurring of the line in reality the very next year where we're going to take it for granted, right? Meanwhile, compare that to the quote-unquote kiss with Sidney Poitier. So all I'm saying is that, God bless Sidney Poitier, um, they called me Mr. Tibbs. We needed that. We needed that. But at the same time, uh, he fit a role that many white people were comfortable with. And I think that's the way I see it.
0: I just, I just got a question as well. So, Halle Berry is not still the only black African-American actress Is she is. the Every other black actress has been for Best Supporting Actress. Is Halle Berry still the only actress to win for Best Actress?
2: Uh, that is correct. That's pretty bad. <laughs> OK,
1: well, that was all great. I enjoyed listening to everything you had to say, and I want to hear more and read more. When your next book comes out.
0: Can you give us a sneak peek into your future work? I know uh, you in 2021, were working on a book on black statues. Anything coming up that we should keep an eye out out for?
2: Oh, no, absolutely. So definitely, uh, well, just for any listener, uh, keep an eye out for the last time you've seen a black statue in your town. Publicly, 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 y'all. Three dimensions, three dimensions, not bas-relief, not bas-relief. I'm talking about a statue. Like three dimensions publicly, right? Not, not inside a museum, not, not you know, not on a university campus. I'm talking about like just downtown, just for the heck of it. Oh just man, like- I was getting ready to say the Jesse Owens statue at Ohio State University. Well, I mean, so no, so that's a keep, keep, you know, t- t- tell the audience to keep the eyes out for that, and then okay. B, keep the eyes out for for this book because I'm still working on it because, you know, just in thinking about, I, I was just stimulated when I thought, saw the conversation about um taking down confederate statues particularly in the, in the wake of george ford's uh murder and you know and, and, and there was this you know a sense of heightened consciousness for that window that summer and people were really starting asking critical questions and the, the idea is well why did we still have confederate you know leader right and so who, who would have thunk that Monument Avenue in Richmond, Virginia would we'll look the way it is where, uh, uh, you know, uh, all five Confederate uh, heroes are gone and only Arthur Ashe remains, right? Who, who would have thunk it, right? I mean, this is absolutely amazing. And so the idea is this, I think that where we're talking about taking down Confederate statues, I'm still curious about the question of, well, what statues remain? I mean, just, just, as, just as a, as a, on just a regular day, do you run into a black statue? Because I, just like what I kept saying about the movies, it's more than just a movie. I understand statutes to be more than just art in a park. The, the, these are actually powerful, what I would call political portraits that reflect much about the value and visibility of African-Americans in society. I mean, you don't just slap up a statue downtown. A lot of pieces need to be in place in terms of the public agreeing and accepting that this individual reflects either our values or, you know, something that we believe in. And so I I think it's just another way to measure the the, the value and visibility of African-Americans in society. I mean, many of us will will count really quickly on our hand, single our hand, you know, how many friends we have, or, you know, point to our phone and talk about the the black music we have in our phones and I'm I'm cool, I'm down. But I think it's just another way to measure, you know, us, like you know, do we have a black statue in a cell of so, who, and, and why, and how? I mean, I, I think it's just it's just for great conversation. And and again, it's one of those deals where uh, I'm I'm doing I'm doing doing it's just taking inventory and just talking about it. But I, I think it's one of those deals where we talked earlier. There's plenty of space. So if anybody in response to my books wants to put up a black statue, uh, I will not get in their way. I'm all for it. Doctor, gooding
1: with the uh, Oscars coming up, do you have any uh, advice or suggestions on how to watch the Oscars?
2: Sure my advice would be to watch the Oscars with an open mind and also with a critical eye on what is happening behind the scenes. So look at not just the quantity in terms of, I I think it's natural just to count, oh, the one Latinx individual got a nomination, but but also let's look at the quality as well. Uh, As you're counting, let's look at, well, what did the person receive the nomination for, you know, what, what was the actual character doing in that movie, in that universe, you know, how are they positioned in relation to others? And so really getting into the, the details because that's what, we have as a context. I mean, that is the text. I mean, you're you're not going too far, too deep. Does Shakespeare mean everything that he he said? I don't know, but it's in there. And if it's possible to make that connection, then, I mean, that's part of the conversation. So I think um, I really would like to just stress just looking at quality, the details and nuances of the quality role in addition to the quantity would be a good exercise for any uh, Oscar viewer.
1: Well, thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Gooding. And the current book is... Black Oscars from Mammy to Mini, what the Academy Awards tell us about African Americans. You can get that at the library through our Overdrive and Libby apps and request the actual hard copy of the book if you like. So thank you very much, Dr. Goody. Thank watching, you. It's great
2: to meet with you today. No, it's been my pleasure. And just for all those listening in the audience, all I can say is just keep watching what you are watching.
0: And now
1: the news. And now it's time for the library news you cannot use. Casey, I bet you didn't know that Charles Darwin had a kidney bean collection. I'll also bet you didn't know that he collected thousands of other items and all are housed and cataloged by the conservation team at the Cambridge University Library in England. According to the BBC, microscopic pollen grains, as well as pony and beard hair have been cataloged. And now 90,000 images of these items have been uploaded to the internet with another 36,000 or so to go. Fortunately for Yukon Public Library, we only have to decide if a book on Darwin might go into the biographies, or maybe the 900s, or even the 500s.
0: Mike, some might know that The Four Winds by Kristen Hanna was the most checked out book from the Cuyahoga County Public Library System last year. It might help that it came out at the end of January, but it's also a well-reviewed book from a popular author. The most popular book for Euclid Public Library in 2021 was Stephen King's newest novel, Billy Summers, which went out 96 times. That was just one more than David Baldacci's The Gambling Man. We've still got copies of all three on our shelves, so come on in and grab yours to add to your 2022 totals.
1: And I bet a lot of people know that Cleveland's newest mayor, Justin Bibb, took his official oath of office inside the Cleveland Public Library's 131st Street branch. After taking the oath, Mayor Bibbs said his journey to the office started as a 10-year-old using a computer at the library. He said he asked Miss Cunningham what he had to do to stay out of trouble. Her answer, young man, read them books, mind your elders, and keep showing up at the library. The advice appears to have worked. You can watch the swearing-in ceremony on CPL.org's website. And that's the library news you cannot use.
0: Thanks for listening to Checked Out. We hope you will tune in soon for our next episode.
1: You can learn more about Euclid Public Library by stopping by or going to our website, EuclidLibrary.org.